0: the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is lock. he will score! And the Dogs rock it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right 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 place. place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia mountaintop demons be gone and the drought is over national champions at long last just sit back relax and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to
1: Welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams here for you. Uh, We understand it is Sunday night, and Sunday Night Football is officially back today here in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, So we won't uh, take up too much of your time, but we ask that you kind of hang out with us for a little bit as well here. Uh, Make sure you go ahead and like the video and share it with anybody else. If you have that, we're going to go ahead and plug that at the beginning of the show because we always say it at the end. Make sure you like and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, but we're going to talk some Georgia football here with you, uh, some things around the SEC. Georgia wins yesterday, obviously, play South Carolina on Saturday. So we got some stuff to talk about with everything like that. First time we really get to preview a game because you can't really preview UT Martin and Ball State. So we got a little bit to talk about for you tonight. Jonathan, how are
2: we feeling? Doing great. Yeah, little pro tip for you guys. Have NFL on. Have your Sunday night football game on. Mute the channel because we don't like listening to those commentators anyways. And just have us on in the little corner. You know, you have a little background noise while you watch your NFL games. You get the best of both worlds. You get to listen to some Georgia football while watching Georgia football players dominate the NFL. Like, it doesn't get much better than that. You get best of both worlds. You get to do everything that you want. So, yeah, there's there's a little strategy for us being on Sunday nights, because we do know Sunday night football, NFL's back. We get it. We would like to be watching NFL games too, but we got episodes and content to pop out for you guys, and we're going to consistently be doing that. But yeah, super excited to be finally breaking down an SEC football game, a game that is worth breaking down. It's not UT Martin. It's not Ball State. Pretty interesting matchup. Georgia gets its first really big home game, so fans, of course, are going to be excited for that. And yeah, I mix, I think there's some um, big takeaways that, um, from Saturday's game against Ball State as well. Got to learn a little bit more about Georgia's identity a little bit and got some, you know, just got some more knowledge on what Georgia is looking like in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: it's always good to see Georgia go out and win. And I, like everybody was talking about the first quarter for Georgia this past weekend. So let's go ahead and hit on that real quick before we get into the rest of the game. Yeah, the first quarter wasn't the best. Didn't score anything. It was still tied 0-0 going into the second quarter. But please understand, if you watch the game, you you, you understand the first drive Georgia was moving, ended up having a little bit of miscues in the in the red zone there. Uh, Carson Beck fumbled. They recovered, but ended up having to settle for a field goal attempt, which was then missed. So points should have been on the board on the first drive. So let's go ahead and say that it was they were moving well, having a good drive until it kind of stalled right there at the end. Uh, I believe they only had two offensive drives in the first quarter, maybe a third. I think third. it was three. Is it three? So they yeah. had three. So it, it wasn't like they had four or five possessions out there and, and weren't able to do anything. I know last week, the first four possessions weren't the best for, for Georgia overall, but uh, this week I don't think it was the same. And then obviously you get some interceptions, you get some turnovers, all that kind of stuff. Georgia's offense starts scoring, ends up putting 31 points up in the second quarter, goes into halftime, 31, nothing. So it, they, they definitely bounced back yesterday pretty well. It was nice to see the defense getting some takeaways. That's something that you know Georgia uh, puts a lot of emphasis on, trying to turn the ball over on the other side and get some picks. Now, one of them was a little bit of a, a lucky pick, I'll say, the one that went off the foot and bounced straight back to <laughs> to Chaz Chambliss. Um, I think you tweeted this. I thought it was pretty funny. It was like, Chaz doesn't find the football. The football finds Chaz. So it was pretty much, that was pretty accurate. The ball found him on that one. But, you know, then you go into halftime, 31-0, feeling pretty good about yourself.
2: Yeah, and you know, I know it was still a slow start because you didn't get any points on the board. When it came down to crunch time, clutch time in the red zone, you didn't exactly execute but Georgia was able to find a little bit of a rhythm on the first drive and I think that's what everybody was kind of looking for against Ball State it was like let's see them start a little quicker let's see them get into a rhythm faster I think that's one thing people appreciated about Todd Munkin a lot is at least in those big games in those big moments he was able to get Stetson Bennett in that offense in a rhythm very early in the game and from that point on they were just clicking the rest of the way it never seemed like the offense was really ever struggling and I think Mike Bobo did a good job of that on Saturday it was just like you said you got down in the red zone you got down close to the end zone and you just weren't able to execute you had a little fumble on third down I think Carson Beck was trying to make a play for himself didn't work out And then your kicker doesn't come in clutch for you and put points right. on the board but that's okay those things happen so I was actually relatively pleased with how the game started until that point in the game but yeah I mean, the fact that you put up you respond to that you answer by putting up 31 points in a single quarter right after that that's yeah. the biggest takeaway is that even if you did struggle, even if you did have some woes in the first quarter, you were able to spawn in a relatively good way and you're able to go into halftime feeling good about yourself. From, from that point on, you had nothing to worry about in the, the rest of the football game. So still, the fact that you're able to finish the second or the, or the first half for that matter on a high note and you're able to get some momentum going for yourselves going into the second half, I think that's a really big positive takeaway.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it was a lot of the same stuff that we've been seeing from Georgia so far this season, where you know you're getting a lot of different guys involved and and uh, all that good stuff. And another, honestly, a, a really good performance from Carson Beck. He had a solid, you know, seventy percent completion rate or whatever it was. It was something high, mm-hmm. and uh, I think there was a few passes that were dropped, obviously, that kind of impacted him. And obviously, uh, Brock Bowers was one that dropped a pass on him. And on that pass play that he dropped, by the way. He was lined up at running back, which we've talked about on here before. Kirby Smart talked about it, saying that he might line up back there at some point in time. And he did on Saturday, at least that one time, I think I saw. I didn't see it any other times. But uh, they ran a little screenplay to him out of it. So they're trying to get him involved in different ways. It was a little bit of a quieter day for Brock Bowers, obviously. It wasn't as big of a performance as we saw last week. Um, But overall, you know, you got to see Mekhi Muse doing Mekhi Muse things on the, the punt return touchdown. First one that Georgia's had since 2018. Uh, with Mm -hmm. Nicole Hardman against Middle Tennessee, I think it was. But it's a lot of guys getting involved, right? And then the biggest thing I want to talk about and see what you thought about it was Dylan Bell's running the ball, right? lining up at running back, right? He was, I'm pretty sure he was a running back in high school, but Mm -hmm. we used him as a wide receiver at Georgia this year. But seeing him line up and he made, I'd said this in our, our group chat, he made a cut that reminded me a lot of DeAndre Swift. And I don't think I've seen a running back, move like that at Georgia since DeAndre Swift, it's, it was just a beautiful thing to see. So it makes me wonder if that's where he's going to kind of hang out for, uh, for at least the early part of the season while you're still trying to get Dejon Edwards back and everything like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, Dylan Bell is probably very much one of those guys in high school where he's the best player on your team. So you're going to put him anywhere and everywhere that can get him the ball, whether that's running back, wide receiver, whatever you have to do to make sure that he gets his necessary touches every game. That's what he's going to do. They did the same thing with Brock Bowers in high school. He played running back. He played tight end. He even played edge rusher on defense at times. I mean, he's the best player on the football field. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to put him anywhere and everywhere that he can impact the football. So I think it was good to see Dylan Bell kind of see them experience that or experiment with that a little bit, just getting some different guys back there because you do need some spark in that running back room. Let's not sugarcoat things. The running back room was not necessarily great on Saturday. It didn't exactly flash, you know, and that's something that Georgia fans are not used to seeing. It is That room is a little bit banged up. I don't think Kendall Milton is still 100% yet. You're trying to get Dejon Edwards back. I thought you might see him on Saturday because you maybe wanted to get him a feel for the game before you just go into your game against South Carolina, if that is your goal to get him back on Saturday for this game. But obviously, he was not good enough to go where they felt like it was not necessary to get him into the game. So yeah, you might as well try Dylan Bell out at running back. And it worked out. He had a 21-yard rushing touchdown. And the thing with Brock Bowers putting him in the backfield, what's great about that is it, it, like you can put him in the backfield and that's either going to make – that makes that forces the defense to make a decision at that point because you're going to have three, four other wide receivers or maybe you even have Oscar Dope on the field as well. So if someone has to cover Brock Bowers out of the backfield and that's probably either going to be a linebacker or it's going to be a safety. And then if you motion him out of the backfield, that does even more for you as well. So I like Bobo's creativity there, just getting some athletic guys back there, some hybrid running backs, if you will getting them touches, seeing what the defense offers you, and at least putting that on tape. So deep, like teams now have to consider that now. That is now an option that they have to look at and watch for. Just another thing to, that the defense has to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's always good to keep the defense on their toes. And when you have a weapon like Brock Bowers, it's really easy to do that when you move them around and, and make them keep guessing. We, we talked about that before as well. It's like, what do you do when you line him up at running back? you still got Oscar Delp at, at the traditional tight end spot too. Uh, it, it just kind of creates a massive, you know, chaotic moment for the defense to try to figure out what they're going to do in the situation. And uh, we didn't really get to see it much. Like I said, I think he only did it one time. Uh, but it was one of those things that you, you know, kind of just threw out there just to show people that you can do it. And so now they've got a game plan for that moving forward, right? So South Carolina's got to think about that coming up this Saturday. What if they do that? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond for it? So it's just another thing to confuse the defense and get them kind of wondering about it, right? So other things... In that offense that I noticed was one Arian Smith is running a lot more routes than just go routes this year. I'm seeing him run posts. I'm seeing him run, you know, button hooks, uh, all kinds of different stuff. He's not just running go routes and just trying to beat people with the speed. He's doing that. He is still running those and they're still throwing those. Uh, but that's not the only thing that he's doing, which is exciting to see. And um, one thing I've noticed as well is Dominic Lovett seems to be one of Carson Beck's favorite targets, especially on third down. Every quarterback finds that guy that they are trusting to go to on third down situations because it's a guy they think is sure handed or a guy they're very confident that's going to get open. It seems like that might be Dominic Lovett this season for Carson Beck.
2: Yeah, I think one person that you might see a bit of a stronger connection with too is Marcus or semi Jack Saint him and Carson Beck. Cause you got to think with Marcus or semi Jack Saint being behind Adonai Mitchell and then off season and behind George Pickens during an off season, you know, back in 2020 and 2021 and then this past off season as well, he was likely getting a lot of work with Carson Beck with the second team unit over these past couple of years. And so I'm sure that they built quite a bond with him. And then also I think, I mean, he had a touchdown himself, so it was good to see him come back on Saturday. And then hopefully Georgia can get Ladd McConkie back going against South Carolina because he's always such a reliable piece and weapon to have in the offense as well. So I think you saw a lot of positives. You got another addition back. Robert Thomas continues to show that he maybe has that big game breaking ability, taking some deep shots with him. And so I think that, the you know, the ceiling is high as ever it's it's in the stars it's high it's um super high for this georgia offense i think we know that we knew that going into the into the season and i think the most important thing though is that you've kind of gotten to see the depth just how deep this wide receiver room is because you've seen mckay muse you've seen cj smith make plays it's not just your typical oh it's lad mcconkey brock bowers and whoever else you know one other guy yeah. at the ex-receiver whoever was playing that in years past so i think it's good that you got a taste of that And, you know, one thing that I would mention, too, about these last two weeks is, you know, I don't know if this is officially what they were doing or anything like that, but I think maybe kind of a part of a scheme for these last two weeks was the offense trying to figure things out without making Brock Bowers the focal point of the offense. Like, If you do get put in that situation where Brock Bowers is all of a sudden not available, whether it be to injury or whatever else, can you still manage to get down the field, put points on the board, and be efficient without your best playmaker on the field? I think that's why you kind of saw a quiet day from him on Saturday, and I think that's a good thing. If if that is what they were doing, at least that was my takeaway. That's kind of how I analyzed the game over the last two weeks I think that's a good thing to kind of instill in Carson Beck in that offense now has confidence in themselves. Like, okay, we can still get it done. If we need to lean on Oscar Delp a little bit, he's shown that he can kind of step up for us when we need be and so on and so forth with the other receivers.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I think Brock Bowers only had one catch for three yards yesterday. Yeah. So he, he didn't have like you said, he wasn't thrown to a bunch either. Like it wasn't like he had that one drop, but I don't remember him missing a bunch of plays or anything like that. Or I think they tried targeting him for a fade route in the end zone on that first yeah, drive. They maybe. did. So maybe like three targets in the game. Uh, yeah. One thing that goes back to what you're saying though, what do you do if he's not there? Well, Delp has been playing significant role in this offense the first two weeks. You know, last week he had a touchdown catch uh, from Brock Vandegriff, and this week he's making plays again hurdling defenders mm-hmm. and showing you that he's very athletic very capable of making plays in space himself as well so I think that's something that Georgia has now shown everybody as well so if you don't have Brock Bowers you still have a tight end that is well not necessarily a generational tight end like Brock Bowers because it's very hard to be Brock Bowers but a guy that is very capable of making plays in this pass passing game and and helping your offense when you need him as well
2: yeah I mean that that route that he ran when he had, I think it was like, I don't know what the exact yard it was, but he made that big play where they, th- um, where they threw the ball at him. It was like 50 yards. He hurt a little of the exact play that you're talking about. That's the same route that Brock Bowers ran against UAB a couple years ago when he took it all the way to the house. So they're using yeah. him a very similar way that they were using Brock Bowers and that they continue to use Brock Bowers. And I think that's another example of it. It was – Let's put him in a Brock Bowers-type situation and see what you can do, a little double move down the boundary, get the ball to you, make some plays, and that's exactly what he he did. And that's what you want to see in games like against Ball State. You want to see some other guys step up, get to experiment with them a little bit, and put them in situations where they might have to be plugged into later on in the season in a conference game where it matters even more than it would against Ball State.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely something he was able to show on Saturday. I think Georgia fans have been looking at this running back room a lot recently. Um, and it's just something that there's been so many different injuries throughout the entire depth chart there. And so you've seen a bunch of guys get play. Like we said, Dylan Bell got some rushing yards there and some made some nice plays, scoring and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's there's still options for them. One thing that we've talked about once before or multiple times before and something that we actually got to see really well on Saturday was Cash Jones coming out of the backfield making receptions and doing it very well too. Had a beautiful touchdown off of you know kind of a wheel route I guess it was you know running up the sidelines um, and he threw it to the corner of the end zone made a beautiful catch shows that he has the hands to do it and Carson has the confidence to get it out there to him so that was nice to see as well and it's, it's good to see guys like Cash Jones who didn't really have a role on the offense too much until This year, but he's taken the most of that opportunity and he's showing that he can make those plays and that Georgia has that option there as well. Uh, Kendall didn't have the best day again. I think he had seven carries for roughly 17 yards and uh, Roderick had a couple of nice runs once again, which we've seen him do for two weeks now. So that there's there's confidence in that. But I think part of what's hurting this offense in the rushing game is that offensive line on run blocking situations are still not doing that great on that. That's something that is a concern moving forward and as we get into SEC play that's something you want to see them improve on because that is a if you cannot run the ball very well i think they had less than 100 yards i think it was 99 or 98 rushing yards last or yesterday against ball state that's going to have to improve especially against teams like that and that starts up front with your offensive line
2: yeah offensive line still you know offensive line is also something that i like to watch brooks break down in his film breakdowns cuz you know I'm not the type of guy that can just sit there and, you know, unless it's an obvious beat, if right. a dude is on his face, if he's turned around, then yeah, I can t- sit there and tell you like, oh yeah, the right guard right there, get his butt whooped. But and, but I think what Brooks does a good job of is explains to you what his assignment is on this and this concept what is he s- supposed to be doing and what is he trying to do. And, you know, sometimes if a run play doesn't hit, it isn't always on the offensive line or maybe right. just the defensive line made a really good play. So, I would like to wait for that, but yeah. Offensive line, specifically in the run game, has been a little underwhelming thus far, but I think I remember having those similar reactions in games last year early on in the season where it's like this offensive line is supposed to be really good we know what they're capable of, but it doesn't seem like they're exactly executing. And I think that's something that we'll see them kind of pick up on and improve upon as the season goes on. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because you played Ball State new UT Martin that maybe you don't feel like you have to go 100% on every down. So maybe against a team like South Carolina, maybe it gets a little more personal and those guys um, execute better and they're a little more locked in or something like that for Saturday. So definitely something to watch. I think, though, for the defense – best thing that we saw on Saturday was the turnovers that you created I know like you mentioned the one with Chaz Chambliss that one was the ball just bounced your way you know sometimes you do it's it's better to be lucky than good as they say that was a situation where you got lucky Chaz Chambliss was in the right spot but Malachi Starks made a really good play as he typically does in the secondary picking the ball off and then Tyke Smith as well he made a big play got the interception. So three turnovers forced that's a really good sign in the fact that you won the turnover battle there offense protected the ball outside of Carson Beck nearly turning it over. And the one interception that was like, eh, I, I really don't even know if you put that on Carson Beck. No. Maybe a flag should have been thrown, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, defense did a really good job of making place for your offense. You know, when they kind of needed, needed a pick-me-up, Georgia's defense did what it always does, and it gave the offense a pick-me-up. It was like, here, start on the 40-yard line, and let's get rolling, boys. We got your back. We'll keep you going in here. We'll get you in the right position. And that's exactly what happened. So that's a really good, refreshing thing to see.
1: Yeah. And on that Carson pick, there was two things on there that I thought should have personally, I thought should have been called. Um, even the announcers were talking about it during the game was one. It looked like there should have been a, a free play right there. Should have mm-hmm. been offsides. They jumped. And I believe Carson thought he had it. And that's why yeah. he threw the ball up like he did. And then even though you didn't call that right. And then there, it, it looked like pass interference to me on the same play to make that interception. So it's not something I'm looking at, at Carson going, Hey, you need to chill, you know, and protect the ball a little bit better. I think he had thought he had a free play, and in those situations, you want him to air the ball out yeah. and, and take a chance like that because you got nothing to lose. Problem was that time we didn't get the call that should have been there, and it kind of went that way. Is what it is. On that, you're going to shake it off. Like I said, he, I think he went 23 for 30 with 280 something yards passing, two 287, touchdowns, seven, I think. Yeah, and he had one touchdown that was dropped. Uh, on there as well so there should have been an extra touchdown added to that as well so he should had three I believe Georgia ended up having to settle for a field goal after that drop pass uh, that would have been a touchdown as well so there would have been an extra mm-hmm. touchdown on the board for the dogs there but like you were talking about with the interceptions on the defensive side they're making plays and even on that Chaz Chambliss interception uh, that was a little bit on the luck side with the bounce they were getting pressure on the quarterback and forced him to make a bad throw so it's not something that it just threw it straight to a defender, and it was you know, Mm -hmm. unprovoked, just made a mistake. He had pressure coming to him, and I think Georgia's defensive line did a good job putting pressure on their quarterback this Saturday, which is something that uh, didn't necessarily see as much of last week against UT Martin. I think they did a lot better job creating some pressure and causing those extra plays, making the quarterback make bad decisions, that kind of thing. But as far as Starks goes, that man just – he's a ball hawk. He, He sees the ball and just chases it down. There's not much more you can say about his ability. He is just a freak athlete, something that Georgia gets to enjoy for the rest of the season and next season as well. So I'm excited to see what he's able to continue doing. Uh, Georgia overall on defense played phenomenal on Saturday, only allowed three points, you know, uh, just very little offense given up and everything like that. And then creating those turnovers, I think there's nothing to be upset about from that defensive side of the ball at all.
2: No, absolutely not. I think Malachi Starks at this point, every it, it's known that he is going to end his career as one of the greatest Georgia players of all time. That dude does everything. He looks like the best player on the football field. He's quicker to everything. That's a special talent. And, you know, much like we say about Brock Bowers, I really hope fans are enjoying what you are watching in 24 these next two years because yeah. that is special. That is not, I mean, Georgia has had some great safeties recently under Kirby Smart, you know, Christopher Smith. Uh, I have J.R. Reed, Richard LeCount, yeah. all those guys. I mean, those are really good talents at safety. I think fans really appreciated them and what they brought to the table. Look, Malachi Starks—that's a different animal. Even Javon Bullard, you know, it's—it's it's not like he's any. It's not like he's not special in his own right, but he just happens to get overshadowed a little bit because Malachi Starks is that great. But Javon Bullard is exceptionally talented. I mean, fans have seen his playmaking ability in the deep end as well. So the fact that you get both of them at once, playing yeah. safety, kind of roaming around the field together—I mean. There's not a better duo in the country, maybe. I think those two are maybe arguably the best two best safety duos together in all of college football. But they the secondary will definitely get tested this next week because South Carolina is coming into town, coming to Athens. So that's always nice. Yeah. You don't have to go up to William Bryce Stadium up in Columbia, the armpit of America, and sweat your sweat your nuts off. <laughs> William of Bryce Williams
1: Bryce Stadium is terrible. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. I've never heard any good things about Columbia, South Carolina. It's not good. It's not I have good. not heard it yet. So <laughs> but it's in Athens, so that's a good thing. But Spencer Rattler, despite South Carolina struggles a little bit this year, losing to UNC, he's played exceptionally well. I think he has nearly, he may even be over it. I think he might have close to 700 passing yards on the season he's already. Right there at it, protected the ball. He's, I think, he has four total touchdowns or something, six maybe around that range. She's played really, really well for South Carolina, despite the offensive line maybe not showing up for him and whatnot. So. Definitely going to get tested by him this weekend, but you know, what are your kind of immediate thoughts on that, Stoddard? I think that um, South Carolina definitely got a got a week to take a week off a little bit, kind of reanalyze yourself, reassess as you play Furman. But yeah. still, if you're looking at that UNC tape, it's not exactly all promising for South Carolina, especially heading into a game against the number one ranked team in the country.
1: No, it's it's definitely not something that you you know at, at Georgia. Should be, not worried, but Georgia should be prepared to have a, a team that's not a bad team coming into Athens this Saturday. So it, it's, like you said, I'm not going to really look and see what they did against Furman too much because it was Furman. The same thing is I'm not going to sit there. And if I was South Carolina, I'm not going to look at, our they, they played this terribly against uh, Ball State. They did this wrong, that kind of thing, and, and use that as like a game plan because it's a different competition. It's a different game, different level of performance coming your way when it's an SEC matchup that you're going to have. But, yes, yeah, Spencer Rattler is – Definitely on fire so far to start the season, even though his team around him hasn't played very well. Uh, Even the Furman game wasn't an incredible performance as a team. They won by enough points, obviously, but it wasn't a game that they went out there and just dominated from start to finish and just put it away like you would want against a team like that. So but we're going to look at the uh, the game against North Carolina and he went off. I mean, he was thrown for 400 yards passing in that game. Uh, and just go in lights out, even though he had been sacked nine times and was running for his life in that game. So I think that's first reaction is obviously their offensive line is struggling. So your defensive line needs to be prepared to make some plays and put pressure on him and then be able to bring him down because obviously getting the pressure on him wasn't enough because he was still able to throw for a ton of yards and perform in that aspect of it. But in that game, the thing that I took away most was while they threw for 400 yards in that game, they only ran as a team for two yards because of the negative plays and everything as well. They had no rushing game against North Carolina, and if you are that type of team going up against the number one team in the nation, back-to-back national champions, on the road in in Sanford Stadium, that is something that they're going to have to try to fix because they're going to have to air it out a lot more than they want to if they can't run the ball. And like you said, Georgia's secondary and, and defense as a whole – Is incredible. So it's going to create a challenge for them. But that is something that Georgia's secondary needs to be paying attention to. I know Bullard was in a boot after or during the game. He got hurt. So hopefully he's okay. I don't know the situation there right now, but uh, hopefully he's going to be all right and he's going to be able to play because I think Georgia is going to be tested at that secondary position and they're going to need Bullard at that safety spot.
2: Yeah. And that may have just been a precautionary thing for the exact reason you'd mentioned, knowing that you have South Carolina coming up on the schedule, knowing that you're going to be going against a guy like Spencer Rattler. Might just be safe to say, go get in a boot, hang out on the sidelines. We'll use you next week. Don't worry about it this week. But, you know, one thing that I think is interesting about the South Carolina team is specifically what happened in the UNC game is that not only did the offensive line really struggle for South Carolina, but the defensive line wasn't exactly doing much for you either. Now, I know the game of football has changed. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because we sit on here all the time and say, like, don't look at sacks for a defensive stat for Georgia because teams get the ball out so quick and they have to do that because if you don't, then you're going to get sacked. That defense pressure is going to get you, and you're not going to be able to make plays. So like, teams are getting the ball out on an average of 2.3 seconds against Georgia. So I don't want to just harp on this and say that it is a major issue, glaring issue. South Carolina wasn't doing anything up front defensively against UNC's offensive line. But that's an offensive line that since Mack Brown has taken over as head coach, they've averaged like 45 sacks a season. So the fact that you didn't get Drake May a single time, might be a little bit worse. I mean, you can. It may be a cliche, and it is a little bit, but it still holds true to this era of college football. You're going to win a football game in the trenches. Can your offensive line block for you? And can they run block for you? And can your defensive line create some havoc in the backfield to where the quarterback can't sit there and look all pretty and throw darts all you, on you all day? And your running backs can't hit gaps. I mean, are you gap sound? Can you make the running back bounce a bit, a little bit, and extend plays? So, I mean. And Georgia does both of those things better than South Carolina's at this moment. And if that's if we get the same offensive line that showed up against UNC against Georgia, then they're in some fr- they're in for some trouble. But I think that South Carolina is going to end up doing what a lot of teams do. Like I said, they're going to be getting the ball out quick. They're not going to make Spencer Rattler stand in the pocket and have to deliver some hospital balls across the field all day long. Yeah. They're going to allow him to kind of just get it out, get it quick, get it to a playmaker, and then maybe on some instances when you feel like you can take a deep shot. Then you max protect that thing and you let him you try and get him at least three to four seconds before he gets smacked in the face. So it's I'll be interested to see what kind of game route or game plan that they come out with against Georgia and Athens. But those two things alone, South Carolina struggles on both defense line and offensive line. I think that's what I would be worried about heading into a game like this if I was a Gamecock fan. Something
1: that is said all the time because it's true is, I mean, games are started in one in the trenches because if you cannot, if your offensive line is getting beat the entire game and then your defensive line is not winning anything on their side either, it just creates a very, very bad situation for you and it makes a lot more stress for other guys around you, right? Like your quarterback's got to be running for his life because your offensive line is getting their butt beat, getting sacked nine times. And then on the defensive side, they're not getting any pressure. They're not doing anything. So they're picking your secondary apart. Now, uh, also, I lied to you a second ago. They didn't have two yards rushing. They had negative two yards rushing as a team. Yeah, negative two yards rushing on 31 attempts. So, Mm. yeah, 31 attempts rushing and negative two yards. And then passing, they threw the ball 39 times for 353 Mm. yards. So they were throwing the ball very well, even though Spencer Rattler was having to run – you know, like he had his head cut off kind of thing, just, just scrambling like crazy. And it, it, they were able to still do something there now on the secondary side for them, even though their defensive line, wasn't getting any pressure or doing anything on that side of it, they still ended up managing to get two interceptions in that game against Drake may. So they had some positive side on it, but the fact that you turn the ball, you got two picks uh, through for 353 yards in the game. And then you still lost by what? 14 points, I think mm-hmm. 31 to 17. So it, it it shows you as a team is, is struggling to put the put together a full 60 minutes against a team like North Carolina. North Carolina is not a bad team. North Carolina also just almost lost to App State, which I guess that's not something that you should put a lot of weight into because App State is known for being the, uh, the, the schedule Dude, buster. they are. I don't they know they what are. it They're is about them. Upset alert, man. It, listen, but. if I'm Kirby Smart in the athletic department or any other team out there, I'm not scheduling App State. I'm not because they came into, like they come into Athens and they give us a hard time sometimes. They always, every season, they, they have somebody either on the ropes or they actually manage to win those games. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much we can judge North Carolina for struggling against App State, as crazy as that sounds, because it is App State. But they always get somebody. They um, do. Every time, man. Every season, they end up getting somebody and just ruining a season just and getting paid a million dollars to come do it, too, which is the crazy part. They got
2: Texas A&M last year, didn't they? It was last year. They were known for the Michigan upset back in the late 2000s, I believe it was. And then this year, they nearly upset North Carolina. So yeah, I'd stay away from the Mountaineers, man, because I don't know what it is about them. I don't know what it is about that team. First off, they're really well coached, but man, they they are just waiting and seething at the mouth to upset and ruin anybody's season in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's do this. Like As far as the game on Saturday, Georgia versus South Carolina, 3.30 on CBS, which, by the Mm -hmm. way, the last season that you have to deal with that and Gary Danielson on CBS, that deal comes to an end after this season. So you got this one against South Carolina and everybody knows you got Florida at 3.30 on CBS as well. So maybe that's the only two times you get them this year. Uh, We'll see how it plays out the rest of the time. But let's look at this game and go from it from this perspective. What are you looking for Georgia to do? To be able to go through this game and, and not stress a lot, like what what's the thing that you need Georgia to do uh, the most in this game?
2: Hmm, what I need Georgia to do the most? That's a really tough question. Hmm. I mean, I would say first and foremost, the offense. Specifically, I would like to, you know, you want to see the offensive line finally kind of just dominate, you know, you get an opportunity against like, especially against your first SEC opponent against a team that's a little bit vulnerable, maybe. How about you kind of show up, step up, show that you are the best unit in the country, get allowed this run, you know, I know it's not all all on the offensive line for why the run game has struggled a little bit, but like let's kind of help out our buddies in the backfield a little bit and get this run game going a little bit because you are not going to be able to go th- through this entire season with your running back room struggling throughout every single game. At some point, you're going to have to lean on them. With a first-year starting quarterback like Carson Beck, no knock against him, but eventually, something is going to happen throughout this t- season, where you probably cannot lean on Carson Beck to throw for seventy percent completion rate and almost three hundred yards every single game, like you just can't do that every single game. That can't be your game plan. So, I'd like to see at least get a run game established at some point in the game, kind of get some momentum going there. Just be a little, just be a well balanced oil machine on offense, and then defense. Just make Spencer Rattler uncomfortable. I think that's the biggest thing. Is you can't just let him sit back there and throw the ball all over the football field. You got to get him, get him to the ground. Don't let him use his legs and escape out of the pocket and hit you with a deep shot. So I think the secondary is going to help the defensive line out for with that, especially. But you know, Kirby Smart has had South Carolina's number outside of the one game in 2019 where they upset Georgia at home. I mean, I think Kirby Smart is beating South Carolina by an average margin of victory of 26 points, and they're averaging either over or just under 40 points per game against South Carolina. So I don't know what it is. Kirby Smart has him figured out. He has Shane Beamer figured out. So I don't think this is one you necessarily have to worry about, but still, big matchup, first one of the, of the year for the SEC schedule.
1: Yeah, Kirby Smart doesn't seem to like Shane Beamer too much. He, no. he gets very animated on the sidelines when things happen. Uh last year he he there's a clip, and I'm not going to say what he said, but he was very excited about a first down against South Carolina or like early enough in the game, too. And mm-hmm. just he just full on just threw his arm out and was screaming stuff and I, he's very passionate against South Carolina for whatever reason that he's got that. I don't know if it's Shane yeah. Beamer or if it's just South Carolina as a whole. We see the same kind of stuff from him out of Florida. And that's, we know that's not about the, the coach on the other side, but it's it's something about the team. So maybe it's the team sure. itself that he is just very fired up on, but that is not, and maybe it goes back to the fact that 2019 did happen. And so he's he's kind of got this, like, this isn't going to happen again kind of thing. Like, I've got to – we've got to dominate this team like we know we can. And so he's very passionate about it. But, yeah, I'm with you on the two things that you just said because I think that Georgia's not going to be able to continue against the tougher part of the schedule without being able to have somewhat of a run game established. You, if you can't go for about 150 yards in these games, you're going to put a lot of pressure on your quarterback. And when you start playing against SEC teams, and even though it's South Carolina, a team that you just said that Georgia's beaten – by 26 points under Kirby Smart consistently. Um, it, it's something that you're going to be able to see a difference in, right? If you can't run the ball, you're going to let that defense just sit there and pick you apart and, and force your quarterback to make tough decisions and tough calls, and that's not something that you want to see in a first-year starting quarterback under Carson. Um, so I want to see a little bit from that offensive line to help that happen. want to see some guys make some plays out of the backfield uh, and obviously it does start with that offensive line there so I think that's a the huge piece for you and then the defensive backs are gonna have to stay very disciplined in this game because like I said they are throw- he's got just under 700 yards passing on the season already and in a game that they're running or they're running team, I can't talk right now. Their rushing attack was literally negative two yards. He was still throwing for three hundred fifty three yards, which is insane. That means even and in that game being sacked nine times. So your defensive backs are going to be busy. They're going to have to stay disciplined, stay where they're supposed to be, and keep their head on that court, their eyes on the quarterback enough to know what's going on when you start scrambling out. And then on that, your edge rushers, your linebackers, they're going to have to be able to contain him because. Clearly in that game, if you're sitting there getting sacked nine times and he's still able to do that, he's having to scramble around and make plays with his feet. So your linebackers are going to have to stay disciplined. You're going to need to see those guys make some plays when he starts to move on his feet as well. So I think that's my big key for this
2: game. Yeah, another big key, fans, man. Show up, show up loud, be in Sanford, Stadium, and pack it out. Let some first down MFers fly every now and then. I know maybe there's some <laughs> kids around. Um, shout out to the three-year Letterman on that one, <laughs> but let them fly, man. Get the juice flowing. First big game of the season. Definitely got to show up for that one. Let's show up. Help out. I mean, especially for our offensive line that is already a little bit suspect. There's nothing better than to sprinkle in some crowd noise on top of that and make them freak out and be a little hesitant even more than they already are going up against a defensive line like Georgia's. So Definitely need the fans showing up. That's definitely the key to the game as well. But let's talk about this because it is what the title is based on. Big weekend this last weekend. Maybe not a strong showing from the SEC, but definitely got to figure out some questions about some of the other teams around the conference, specifically Alabama, of course, as Texas knocked them off. Didn't just knock them off. I mean, Texas dominated Alabama. You know, I made a tweet that said, I don't think I can recall another time where a team has just physically dominated Alabama on both lines of scrimmage. Texas A&M, or te- Texas A&M, Texas's offensive line was k- kept Quinn Ewers upright, kept his jersey clean pretty much the entire game. And then their defensive line had Jalen oh Milro running for his yeah. life every single play. They had some dudes up front just getting after it. Has been a while since I've seen a team like that really rattle and disrupt Alabama's offensive flow first time in a while. And then the next one. I don't know if you stayed up and watched it. I did because I'm a psycho for college football. Auburn versus California might be one of the worst football games I have ever watched for two Power 5 football teams. I mean, you would have been better off watching grass grow, watching the paint dry on your wall. It was pretty miserable. Peyton Thorne and that offense really couldn't get anything going. California couldn't get anything going either. This final score was 14-10. to I, I think Hugh Freeze is going to be all right at Auburn, but this year I don't know that anything is going to be happening for them. Texas A&M was another one, Miami, Jimbo Fisher. Congratulations yeah. on finessing the Booster Club members out there, but Lord have mercy are your day's number out there at College Station because it is getting ugly, continue to disappoint, even though every single year people start buying into that off-season hype of, oh, Texas A&M is extremely talented, Texas A&M is going to make a run for the Western Division, only to then get – to lose and get embarrassed by Miami. And that was a big win for Mario Cristobal. I think him, he was in a similar situation as Jimbo Fisher, like got to get something going now. That's a big signature win for him. So, I mean, a lot of different things answered Stoddard. I mean, Tennessee struggled a little bit. Ole Miss was able to squeak one out against Tulane. They pulled away there late. A lot lot was going on this week in the SEC, so just kind of give me your thoughts. You know, you made some pretty bold predictions in your SEC standings. So how are you feeling about those? What do you think about Georgia? I mean, Georgia seems like the best team in the SEC right now. It doesn't feel like it's a question. I know they haven't played anybody, but I think it's a fair statement to make. I think that's a very fair statement to make. And when you come off two
1: national championships and an undefeated season last year where – considering last year's start for Georgia wasn't the best either. Kent State had Georgia struggling a little bit. Sanford Georgia only scored 33 points on. Georgia goes on the road to Missouri and has a a rough game. Nearly loses that one, but makes a fourth quarter uh, push to to win it and make sure they're they're still undefeated on the season. So they didn't have so many, like, all perfect games last year either. So looking at just the first two games, you know, and some fans weren't the happiest last week by any means. And uh, so I think that Georgia is definitely – Still being able to be considered the best team in the SEC so far this year. Like you said, haven't been challenged yet, but we'll see how that stuff starts to play out as they play South Carolina this Saturday. Um, As far as Bama-Texas, I think that's the biggest game to talk about, obviously. And that's something that I came on here and I told y'all that they were going to lose that game. I I did.
2: I'm telling you.
1: And the biggest reason that I said it was because I, d- I thought their quarterback situation was still going to be struggling because they personally came out and said after week one that they would still have a quarterback competition. Now, it looks like they had decided on somebody prior to the game, and they went with Milro, But Milrow did not look great. He was throwing interceptions. He was running for his life. His offensive line was getting him killed. I, I text you at one point during the game, and I said, I mean, he's going to be lucky to be able to walk out of the stadium because he's being hit on every single play. Every time he drops back, even if he wasn't sacked, he was throwing it. Maybe it would be a completed pass, but he still got hit every single time. And when your offensive line is letting that happen and and your quarterback isn't necessarily known as the passing quarterback on that roster, everybody knew that going into it. And you get in a game where you've got to be able to throw the ball because Texas is scoring and they're putting you on the ropes and you've got to be able to answer in the fourth quarter. It did not go the way that they wanted it to. And uh, I don't know if that quarterback situation has fully been decided again at this point because Milrow was not the answer. Whether or not they want to put the blame on him, because like I said, it maybe it's not his fault because he was getting chased around the entire time. But like I said about South Carolina a minute ago with Rattler, he was being sacked nine times against North Carolina Yeah, they lost that game, but he was still performing and threw for 350 yards. Um, But the team still lost that game as well. So when your quarterback is getting hit like that and they're not known to be a passing quarterback when you need them to be, it's not a good situation. I think they still have a lot of questions at that position, so we'll see how they move forward. I'm not saying their season's done because, I, once again, on this show, I, I told you they would lose to Texas, but I thought they might win some of the SEC games and keep going. And after seeing how LSU has played so far this season, Uh, starting week one, losing to FSU. That's a game that they can still win. It's later in the season. And uh, Tennessee's not looking incredible. Uh, They could still win that game. Those games are at home for them this year, right? So they could still be able to be okay in the West. I don't think the season's over for Alabama. Texas A&M – sorry, go Mm -hmm. ahead.
2: What were you going to say? No, no, no. I was just going to say, I don't think it's any reason for Alabama fans to start hitting the panic button. No, you still very much have an opportunity. Yeah, you very much have. And I think that's how Nick Saban took it. If you listen to his press conference, he's like, you know, this was an opportunity for us. That's what I told my players for us to kind of really make a statement this year and kind of open up and really get a test on ourselves to see how we played. But I mean, everything is still in front of you. You get, like you said. The two biggest thing is is you get LSU at home this year, you get Tennessee at home. You take care of business there. Those are really your two marquee games of the season, and those are the ones that you should have circled on your schedule. If you take care of business there, there's no reason why you can't find yourself back in Atlanta for the SEC championship game.
1: Yeah, and a a game that I thought they might be challenged by this year was Ole Miss, but Ole Miss is really not looking good this year so far either. Um, I mean, they scored a lot in the first game, but yesterday they they were struggling and and did not think Tulane was about to beat them at one point. They had an opportunity. uh, They had an opportunity to beat them. So if Tulane can come in there and challenge you, I don't think that Bama at home is going to necessarily have the worst chance to beat Ole Miss as well. So I think that that was a game I had circled for a potential challenging game for them. And now I'm not as concerned about that either. So we'll see how it all plays out for them. I think their season is very much still in control. Once again, when you lose a game early on and it's an out of conference game, it honestly, it makes a difference for the playoffs because if you lose another game, you're in some trouble at that point. But when it comes to winning the conference, you, you haven't played a conference game yet. You've still got so much time there. You've got, you you have control at this point that out of conference game does not matter if you win your conference game. So, I don't think it's a panic button situation. I do think they need to figure out what they're doing on the quarterback side. Uh, I don't think uh, Jalen Milroe is necessarily going to be the answer for him, but I don't know if he's not the best option. We haven't seen the other guys. Uh, Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, I'm not saying that he's going to be able to come in there and be better. You know, uh, Ty Simpson is a redshirt freshman that people talked about potentially being able to get a chance at it. And Then you got Dylan Lonergan, who is a true freshman, that I don't think he's going to get the opportunity. I think they'd go through the other guys first. I don't think he's going to be able to ever see it. Now, I think he's probably the better quarterback on the roster. He's just a freshman, though, so a true freshman at that. So it's going to take some time. Uh, But they've got a lot of opportunity to still be good this season, so I'm not counting them out just yet. Uh, Texas A&M. Sorry. You keep trying to go to Texas a I keep doing it. I keep doing it. You
2: go ahead. Hit on it. No, hit on Texas A&M
1: real quick. Texas A&M is a team that they've had to do well this year. And once again, it wasn't out of conference loss form, so their season's not over because of it. But Miami was not looking like a good football team in that game. I I watched most of that game, and they made big plays and were able to score and and put up the points to win at the end. But early on in that game, it was looking like they were struggling, and they were not a good football team. And Texas A&M still continues to lose against teams that are lesser talented and and shouldn't be winning these games. And so I think that's a huge concern for them. We talked about it before. I think they had to win nine games this year or else you're going to have to look at actually paying that buyout because at this point when you have a talented roster and yeah, I know a lot of guys have transferred out of there at this point, but you, you look at a roster like that, you shouldn't be losing games like that to Miami. Miami is not a good football team right now and they may have a decent season because they do play in the ACC and uh, they have opportunities and now they have a big win under their belt and some confidence moving forward, but they are not a great football team. And so to lose that game, I think it's a, a a huge
2: point for concern for Texas A&M. Yeah, uh, for sure. There's no way to sugarcoat it. No way around it. That's, that's just not what you're looking for. If you're a Texas A&M fan, one last thing I'll make about Alabama is while I do think every, while I do think they still have an opportunity to go and win the West. I don't know that having a quarterback that is going to stick with one read and then bail on the pocket every time. I And mean, that's what he did all day Saturday. He was very much, I'm reading my option. If it's not there, I'm gone. That's what he did. And I think, Texas does exactly did exactly what Georgia does against a lot of those types of quarterbacks. You know, if you remember playing them playing against Robbie Ashford last year, what they do is they're going to blitz the pocket, force you out of the pocket, and you think, "Oh, I've got all this green grass. I'll just take it and run." And you get three yards. That's a win for Georgia. That is exactly what they want you to do. They are baiting you into thinking that you have room to run, and they're just going to pursue you and make you think that you've won that rep when, in reality they're the ones that are winning the right because they are just baiting you into run, bailing out of the pocket, getting out of um, trying to pick up some rushing guards, but instead they're just tackling you down to the ground and not allowing you to make those big plays. And so I think that's what Texas did. They executed the game plan. I think people really got to figure out of if this is how you want to be Alabama's offense, this is the game plan that you have to utilize. So something's going to have to change with Alabama's offensive game plan. I don't know what it is. If it's the quarterback Or what, but something is going to have to change. That's exactly why I was a little hesitant on Alabama going into this year because I just did not trust that quarterback room. You never hear anything like that about Alabama's quarterback room where they really don't have a guy, especially over the last six years. There was never a moment like that where this year it was a little different and it never seemed like it was where they had three of that guys on it at the same time. Yeah. So I just was not buying it, and that's I think that kind of came to fruition against Texas. So still a lot of football to play, though, you know, only week two. So really excited to see what week three has to offer, especially as the SEC game – SEC Conference comes into play. Tennessee and Florida play this week, I think, as well. So, interested to see how that goes, how bad is Florida, or how good is Tennessee, vice versa. You know, excited to see how that game plays out. So, just excited for a conference play to be here, and we are no longer talking about Ball State and UT Martin. No no, no, um, no, shots being fired towards the Cardinals and the Skyhawks, but let's be real, not exactly the meat on the bone for the Dogs no. this year. But you got anything else to add, Stoddard?
1: Was there a – you said three teams a second ago. I think you were talking about Alabama and you were talking about – I mentioned Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is a team that, like, they struggled in that game yesterday. Uh, But we'll see how – against Austin P. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do next. But next week is when we actually get to find out. Once again, they haven't played a team that's really something I can judge their performance on just yet. But they play Florida in the Swamp, I think, next week. And uh, so that will be a game to actually gauge where they're at. And, you know, obviously Florida lost to Utah – Utah was struggling. I don't know if – I think they actually they won the game, but they were struggling against Baylor. Yeah, they yes, didn't yeah. have Cam Rising again, though. Yeah. They, well, they didn't need Cam Rising against Florida, but either way. But that is a game, once again, as far as being able to gauge where Tennessee's at. It is an SEC opponent. It's on the road. We'll be at, we'll be able to actually see what they can do this year and see if they can continue to perform at a, a high level and have a good season. I think they're still a good football team, and we'll see what happens. But that's all yeah. I know. Mean.
2: Yeah, Virginia, not a very good football team. I can't remember who they lost to, but they lost to a pretty poor opponent this last weekend. So I think Tennessee kind of got a feel of like, okay, just because we look good against Virginia – doesn't mean we're going to look that way every week. Joe Milton, maybe a little bit suspect right now. Maybe, definitely not a Hinden Hooker to this point. So I think Tennessee has got a little situation for them to figure out themselves, kind of get into their group, see if they can get back to the high-powered offense that people are so accustomed to them being. But that's going to do it for this week's episode, guys. A little, a little Went a little longer than James Madison. That's who Virginia lost, to. So put that in yeah. pers- into perspective. So thank you, Zach, for that. That's going to do it for this week's episode. We told you at the beginning of the episode, if you haven't already, like, subscribe, share with all your friends. We appreciate you, all of you that showed up on Sunday Night Football opening week of kickoff. We appreciate that you chose to sit here and listen to us. And if you're watching us back later in the week, we appreciate you just as much for tuning in, giving us a listen all of our listeners. We appreciate and love you guys very, very much for the love and support you continue to pour into this channel as we do every single week. So we'll be right back next week, Sunday, right after the South Carolina game. Immediate reactions to that. We'll see how Georgia fares against the SEC opponent. Maybe the offense can finally get a consistent rhythm going. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. And Stoddard, you can close us out. As always, guys, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will see you
1: next
0: week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime...